And welcome into another episode of Turn the Corner, a Detroit Tigers podcast. I'm Karen Steckley. With me, as always, is a man who is tan all over and Jan all over. He is Cody Stavenhagen. How you doing? <laughs> I'm good, Karen. Can you believe it's episode 100? Do we have like we we don't really have anything special planned, but episode 100 of Turning the Corner. Thanks yeah, for everyone who has listened and followed along this long. Yeah, it's it's kind of crazy. Uh, in the spirit of fairness, it's more like 204 because when I do the tracker, I don't count emergency episodes. Don't ask me why. I just kind of don't. So oh, it's actually kind of like 104, 204, 104, I'm sorry, 104. Emergency episodes don't count. Yeah, so 100 actual full-length episodes, kind of crazy, a lot of fun. Thanks, everybody, for subscribing, Apple, Spotify, following on Twitter, at Cody Stavenhagen, at Kieran underscore Steckley, at Turn Corner Pod, and we got a YouTube page now, something special, it's just kind of video of us talking what we're talking about right now. Uh, wanted to expand the digital presence, so if you subscribe there, we'd appreciate that as well. Cody. My girlfriend asked me if we were going to get on TikTok, and I said no. <laughs> that I don't. TikTok is one of the few things that make me feel like an old man. I just can't. I, I can't I, get. I, I, no. I, yeah, can't get into it. Morally opposed thing? to TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> well, Cody, you're back in Michigan after what three weeks, two weeks, or whatever down in Lakeland. A uh, little bit of a break from what is obviously a long process, spring training. So, how terrible do you feel to have left the Florida sunshine for the Michigan ice? <laughs> terrible. I had my flight delayed Saturday. I was supposed to get in at 8 a.m. Instead, I uh, landed at 6.55 p.m. And I, I guess, actually, some of the snow or whatever had melted and gone away, so it wasn't as bad as I was expecting. But it's not a great feeling, let me tell you. Uh, you know, that being said, um, I'll, I'll be back down in Lakeland on the 19th, a little couple week break, uh, because it's, it's really expensive to stay in Lakeland for like six weeks. So, you know, the company sends me for about, about three quarters of camp or two thirds of camp, whatever you want to call it. So I was there for the first 20 days. It's 20 days in a row. It's a, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of fun. And we're definitely at that point where camp starts to drag a little bit. I think if you're a guy trying to make the roster, this is like the most important part of camp, but uh, in terms of public interest, or even if you're say established, this is kind of the part where it's like, all right, can can we get to real games now? Can we get to the real thing? So uh, I, I think I'm timing the break well, and again, I will be back for the final ten days or so of spring training. Yeah, it's interesting because this is the first spring training um, in a couple years that just kind of has a normal flow covid pandemic and then lockout so it it does feel a little long i do tend to think like wow there's i it's funny i was thinking about this the other day i was like you know baseball is just one of those games man that really all there is to do is just play like you know you, you report and then you have a game like four days later and then you just kind of you just kind of play games almost every day and you know obviously the rust you know it's not like the regular roster, so guys aren't playing every day. But it's just a sport that you just play. And then, of course, you have the 162-game season. It's, it's a very unique thing. It's not like the NBA or the NHL. They're just, like, playing preseason games, like, all the time, you know. And NFL yeah. gets rid of them. Baseball, it's like, nah, we, we got we to gotta play. We got to play. And for the Tigers, they are playing encouraging. 
it's kind of fun. We've had several fun moments uh, this year to, to start out with. And the big thing is the home runs. That's the, that's the headline. And I wanted to kind of start out by talking with you about how much does it mean? Because I'm, I'm a big believer that there are things that are something, but not everything. And this power surge, we're recording this Sunday before their last uh, spring training game of the week. They're leading the league in spring training, or leading baseball, I should say, in spring training home runs. And with 20, I believe. And I'm not saying that it's like, oh, they've turned their own corner hitting the ball. However, I am saying that if they had hit three home runs, we'd be freaking out. So the fact that there is this little bit of a power surge for the team, I think, is something. It's something. Maybe it's just like a little wrinkle in the behind-the-scenes stuff of developing players or the uh, the new hitting coach infrastructure that is in place here. And especially when it's guys that are like coming up in the system that kind of got some of that stuff implemented, looking at you, Parker Meadows. Uh, to me, it's something. It's not... Everything, it's not going to make me think that the offense has solved itself. But it's something that I think Tigers fans should feel good about. I'm not trying to be negative here, but I don't think it means a damn thing. It's spring training. It's, uh, you know, been a couple windy days. I do. I am really encouraged by Parker Meadows. He looks awesome. He suddenly looks like a major league prospect. I was talking to a former member of the Tigers front office this past week and they were they were kind of nodding their head they were like yeah we're you know we're validated remember when everyone knocked us for dra- drafting Parker Meadows look at him now and he looks like a big league prospect to me like a real a real guy uh, so I, I don't know if I'm jumping to that conclusion I mean he proved it all last year in the minors but overall uh, because Zach Short hit two home runs in spring training or Tyler Nevin hit two home runs or you know, Miguel Cabrera homer the other day. Like, I, I guess it's good. I guess it's better than just coming out and being terrible. Um, but it's, you know, how many of these are against major league pitching? How many of these are hit by guys who are actually going to be on the roster? Um, I, I just think there's some evaluation to be had in spring training games, but if you really get caught up in home runs or batting average or stats you're you're not doing yourself any favors all this is going to be wiped clean here in a few more weeks and uh, if the tigers hit 20 homers in their first seven regular season games then we can talk about it (laughs) well maybe is it more fair to say that instead of looking at the overarching number it's like a case-by-case basis as to whether to uh, what le- what degree of encouragement you should feel. So you talked about the Parker Meadows thing. Uh, Tyler Nevin is a guy that's, you know, raised some eyebrows with his with his crushing home runs. And, you know, Jake Rogers. We're talking about Jake Rogers because he's had two already. So maybe on an individual basis, these things can lend itself to having more meaning. And again, like I'm just talking about encouraging signs that development – is being had in some of these cases there are guys like zach short who he's he's just being zach short he's a guy with some pop and he plays good defense that's lent itself already but 
you know, we're freaking out about Spencer Torkelson because of the lack of, of home runs. So, like, to me, it's one of those things where if we're going to freak out because Torque hasn't landed one of the seats yet or whatever, then we also should acknowledge some of the other development pieces actually squaring one up in, in a case-by-case basis, if that makes sense. Because they, they do mean more to, uh, I think it was Nevin who said, it's like, yeah, it beats the alternative. You know? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Um, and that was, yeah, I asked him like, you know, that was one of the things the guy homers two days in a row and you go up to his locker and you're like, I feel like I should ask him something about this. <laughs> and it's just like, that's gotta feel good. Right. You know, just, <laughs> just a completely dumb question. And he's like, yeah, beats the alternative. And you know what? All that is true. Uh, all that is true. But right. The other thing, you know, Austin Meadows has still not hit a home run in a Tigers uniform. Are we going to panic? Like, no, we're not because he's had 10 spring at bats. Justin Henry Malloy is over three in spring training. Is it a terrible trade? Is it time to move on from Scott Harris? Like, <laughs> like, like, no. Like, let's just not overreact to any of these results. The Tigers got absolutely destroyed Saturday by the Blue Jays. Guess what? It doesn't matter. Um, you know, there there are coaches and executives and, and players who have something to gain from these spring training games. They're not pointless. But uh, it's just way too easy to get caught up in little things. Twerk, I mean, that's a, that's a whole other topic. He hit one ball that would have been a home run in, I think, 29 Major League ballparks. So, again, you know, is that a good sign or not? I'm more worried by the fact I just have not seen this guy pull a fastball in, like, 18 months, it feels like. <laughs> that's an exaggeration, but... Uh, Twerk's hit a couple balls on the screws and hasn't been rewarded for it at the same time. Uh, my new thing with Torque is like, I just want to see you hit the ball. Like, I just want to see you drive the ball. I want to see you turn on a 92 mile an hour fastball. And I don't want to have to be talking about, well, he's actually done okay against this pitch or that pitch. Or, you know, he had an average exit velocity of this against a pitch down the middle and he just didn't get rewarded. Like, we're at the point with Torque where just hit the ball, dude. That is not analytical. That is not like, that's where I'm at with Torque. Just want to see the dude square something up, pull it, and uh, if you do that often enough, you'll start getting rewarded. Well, the thing about Torque is that he is a very like his scouting report is like coming up college and then you know through the minors was the more most simple scouting report you would have a, as a, of a top prospect. It was you know athletic first baseman and line drive power hitter and even his swing isn't really you know much to do you know what i mean like it's it is rather simple i still maintain this has to be a mental thing uh there's more to dive into on torque i'm sure but it's just it's just flabbergasting to me that he hasn't unlocked that next little thing and maybe he will it's still early and i think he's had at least two maybe three bombs that would have been out in new comerica so you know take that for what you will he if he can just get the mental part right i think he would be overall okay but uh his partner on the top prospect list in terms of guys that, w- that could save the future of the franchise riley green is a guy that you wrote about this week in the athletic and sort of the little intricacies of how he's trying to improve at the plate and you know how he's going to be in the field 
it's funny. I feel like we're not talking that much about Riley Green. There's not like a lot of like Twitter activity. Uh, I can't watch MLB Network because I have YouTube TV, so I don't know if they're talking about him there. Same. I haven't watched MLB Network in a couple weeks. I don't know. <laughs> but it's strange to me that here's a guy who very well could take a giant leap, one to two, in terms of baseball pedigree being like a top five pick and then going up the system and having all those highlight plays that he had last year. You would almost think we like there would be more national oomph with Riley Green. And there's really not, and I'm not really sure why, and maybe it's, I don't know. Do you have, I I, I could talk myself in circles, I don't know. I think people who aren't locked in on the day-to-day of the Tigers or who didn't follow Riley Green very closely coming up through the minors look at his stats in the majors last season and they're like, oh, okay, you know, he was all right, whatever. Um, for some reason that like huge excitement factor got dulled a little bit, not like he was bad at all in his performance, um, in the, in the majors, but this guy was the top prospect in baseball at the time of his call up. I I do agree that there should be a little more buzz around him. Jim Bowden on the athletic did put him on a list of, of potential breakout players. And, you know, some of it's Riley. We talked a couple weeks ago, like, why haven't you written a Riley story? And I was like, "I, I just don't have anything that new to say. And went and talked to Riley again between now and then. And maybe this is how you know he's really settling in as a professional. He's kind of got his his ball player cliches down to a T. It's like, no, not doing anything different. Just trusting the process. Trying to hit the ball hard. Going to play hard. You know? Uh, people brought up the narrative like, oh, are you worried about him diving too much in the outfield? And I really hate that narrative with any player. Like, you can't just tell an athlete to not try their hardest, you know? Uh, if an athlete is worried about hurting themselves when they're playing the outfield, they're probably not going to be a very good outfielder. Um, some bodies do break easier than others. Derek Hill pulled another muscle in Nationals camp or wherever he is. Um, so far, Riley Green's been durable. I guess like long term, that is a consideration. But I, I you know, I don't. I just find that narrative kind of silly. What's the player supposed to say? Um, you know, he's had some really nice abs in spring. He's hit a towering home run. I remain really excited about Riley Green, but I do think that's where we're at with him is like, let's get to the regular season. Let's see if this guy actually takes that leap. And then there's going to be a whole lot to talk about right now. It is a little bit of just wait and see mode with Riley Green. Are we still looking at him as the best leadoff option right now? Is is that... What do, you, what do you think about a good placement for him in this lineup that will maximize his impact? Everything is relative with the Tigers, of course, because no one super leaps out as a clear, better leadoff option. I'm of the belief that Riley Green is going to hit for enough power to be a number two or a number four hitter throughout most of his major league career i kind of joked with aj hinch last year because aj made a pretty bold statement like he can hit number one for his whole time as a tiger or something and i was like i'm gonna remember this for when you move him down in the order because you think he's gonna produce more runs (laughs) and so so i'm gonna stick to that uh i think in an ideal world riley is hitting for some pop and is you want him driving more dudes in 
the caveat is, okay, who's better? I guess if Akil Badu is right in the world against right-handers, he's a great leadoff option. But, you know, can he get on base enough is the big question with Akil. I would almost like Austin Meadows more as a leadoff option than Riley because I think Meadows sees a lot of pitches. He's really tough at bat. He doesn't have quote-unquote speed, but that doesn't really matter like it used to. Um, how much power does he have versus Riley? Hard to tell. I, I just think the mentality, the approach Meadows has, I would really like out of a leadoff guy. Um, and we'll see what's up with some of these other guys, you know, Nick Maton and, and others. Uh, given the overall makeup of this team, I would not be shocked if Riley Green hits a lot leadoff this year, but I think that's more because uh, you just don't have a ton of reliable guys getting on base on this roster. Yeah, and I guess, I mean, not that this really matters all that much, but I do like the uh, like the Tigers are on national TV, which I have no idea how many national TVs they have, if any, maybe like three on like Apple TV or something. Uh, I do like the the art of like him being the first guy like to come out of the dugout for an at bat or whatever like that that plays well in my mind um, and you know get to hyping up the Tigers a little bit and you know that I think that would be a good thing but I was literally about to suggest Meadows when when you said that so I think that makes a lot of sense too a little bit of an unconventional leadoff guy but that's where we're at now leadoff guys are different from when we were coming up as we approach the old 30 years old uh let's go back to parker for a second cody uh number one feel good story in camp number one made one a there we uh feel good i don't know i think it, it depends how you define feel good you got pitchers coming back from injury sure. spencer turnbull that's feel good yeah you know donnie sands is like a feel good story i don't know if it's number one but i would say in terms of like most encouraging signs about the health of the organization. I would say Parker Meadows and Colt Keith are one A and one B right now. So that the reason I bring that up is because when you you talked about how we're at the point in camp where it's a little bit more of a drag or whatever. The fan reaction part of it is we're at the point in camp where guys start getting slotted or projected. And uh, above their weight class, if you would, we talked about that with with <laughs> no, we talked about that with Colt Keith last week, you know, and you know mm-hmm. credit to him, you know, he had a nice little bomb there uh, earlier this week, so you know, I it, that's obviously encouraging. But now we got Parker Meadows conversations of, ooh, well, I mean, is he gonna take somebody's spot? And that's probably one where I kind of rein it in a little bit, you know, like, or am I wrong? Or am I wrong? Is he, is he like, I don't know. You, you tell me. Uh, a little bit of a small sample, but this is a thought that has certainly crossed my mind too. Is Parker Meadows better than Akil Badu and Kerry Carpenter right now? I'm not sure. We need to see a little more, but if Meadows continues playing this well, that's got to be a conversation. I think this guy's played well enough, has all the makeup, all the, you know, so many tools. He's a good defender. He's fast. And he's just looked really good at the plate. His swing looks really good. It is not the most ridiculous conversation of all time. I would say for it's a little early, but another good week for Meadows, you know? And at what point are you like, 
okay, maybe we got it. And, and I think that's the case with some other guys on this roster. Like, in the bullpen, Brendan White has looked better than all these dudes you brought in. Last week I said I was encouraged about some bullpen arms, and I was wrong because Edwin Usetta, Matt Whistler, Trey Wingener have all looked not very good in their first couple of outings. Uh, they just brought in Trevor Rosenthal. So at what point are you just like, man, Brendan White might be one of our best eight bullpen arms. Like, do you make that admission or do you say, well, he's young, there's no point in rushing him. And I think it's a becoming a similar conversation with Meadows and the outfield. Okay, so maybe maybe this is the good way to put it. I like how we're just kind of talking this out. Maybe Meadows just bull rushing through the door, the metaphorical door of the Tigers roster might be the best thing for the Tigers in the near and long term, if that makes sense. Where it's like we we come into this uh we come into this camp being like, all right, you know, Akeel and Carey, like what is what is it? And then Parker just kind of comes through and boom, it's like, all right, well, Parker's ceiling is higher than Carey and Akeel, right? Like it, like he's he kind of if you think about it, all their best traits he is capable of. He's fast as hell. He, we've seen some pop. He is obviously a way better defender than both of them. I, I, to me, you almost kind of solve the pro- problem—not problem, but like the conundrum—if you if Parker could make this team, that might be the best thing for him. And then you kind of let Akeel and Carey like be like supplements in in your overall system. So, you know, bullpen arms. I don't know that the, the to get onto that for a second. Those. Those are, to me, those are more examples of uh, of what AJ was talking about with the overall evaluation, as opposed to right. as opposed to like the individual like you know outings or whatever. And and construction of a bullpen is probably more centered on uh, narrow skill sets meshing, as opposed to I think like your position players. But that that's just me. But I think. I'll tell you what, from an interest perspective, probably the best thing for you would be great for this podcast if Parker could kick down the door and, and make himself, you know, right there or even on the team to begin with. I mean, it's already a great story. Okay, so now I'm going to circle back to the spring training doesn't actually matter <laughs> narrative because... Number one, rookies struggle in the big leagues, as we learned last mm-hmm. year. So do you really want to, you know put a rookie up there and unless you're really really sure in a cautionary tale 2019 a young man top prospect named Daz Cameron hit 357 with a 438 on base percentage and he had two home runs in spring training and he's playing good defense and he was good on the bases and the 2019 team was terrible and I was like seems like rushing Daz a little bit but like Daz is making a real push for this roster and that was probably the height of Daz Cameron's stock as a Tiger, it was all downhill from there, and he never really achieved much of anything in a Tiger's uniform. So, sometimes spring training results are just fluky. That is true. But to to kind of dive deeper a little bit and make kind of Parker the... Facing a lot of AAA, AA pitching. Yeah. That's definitely worth noting. That is worth noting. But on, on the broader sense, he might be the biggest face of outside looking in because obviously I, I i have no idea and you only can find out so much on the record and such of the development process like he might be the best example of what we're sold on 
as, uh, in the minor league system, this revamped uh, development and science and like all these terms that just kind of get thrown out there that we kind of know what they mean. We don't know exactly what they mean. Uh, and if he blazes his way through the minors last year and then he kind of picks it back up in spring training and let's just say he starts out hot and triple A or whatever, like he might be the poster child for what we were sold on over the past like two years in terms of developing these guys, which is also the encouraging, encouraging sign. Yeah, yes and no. I've, I've thought that about Meadows. I mean, he is a great sign for the organization. If he continues at this rate, a, a success story. Also, and there's no knock against the player development staff. I think Ryan Garko and these new guys are really good at what they do. And, and there are other examples of success stories. It does seem like Meadows, though, did a lot of this on his own. I mean, he worked with a private hitting instructor, and he got rid of the hitch in his swing last offseason, and it was a career changer. Um, I'm sure people had been telling him to ch- – anyone could have looked at his swing and been like, bro, you got to change this, and it took him a long time to do it. I'm sure the player development staff has helped him in that way, helped him in other ways. He, he physically matured a lot. seems like his pitch selection probably improved. But the biggest thing was simply – adjusting his swing and that was something he he ultimately like only the player can make that change happen and he went and did that on his own so not to detract from garco but i think this is a case where it's like all that props really goes in the parker meadows bucket he took that upon himself and he made the change and not only did he make a change he stuck with it and he's, he's gotten results not to mention the physical development that he underwent over the course of the past couple of years to get Huge. stronger. I mean, and... Go look at pictures of Parker Meadows from two years ago. You're like, doesn't look like the same guy. It's crazy. Is he the best fielding outfielder in the system? I don't know. I was also kind of bouncing this around with a, a former Tigers executive. And I think it's an interesting question between he and, and Riley Green because I think they're both very good fielders in different ways. Meadows has pretty surefire speed, um, covers a lot of ground, has those that long stride, ideal center fielder. I think overall Riley's instincts and his jumps and his first steps, probably he has the edge there. I haven't really seen data on what that looks like for Meadows, just the eye test. I think Riley has overall better instincts. Not that Parker's are bad, it's just definite definite plus tool for Riley Green and so I was like if you have these guys in the same outfield which has happened in the minors before it's like who's who's actually your center fielder and I don't know what the answer to that question is um I don't think that's a knock I think that means you have two really good outfielders Meadows speed makes him really appealing in center but over 162 games will he have the jumps the route efficiency to ultimately be better than Riley Green it's it's hard for me to say I would I would want to see what some of the data um, in the minor leagues shows. And I don't have access to that. Well, also, the shrinking of Comerica a little bit. Still a probably big makes, park. Still it, a huge park. Yeah, but it, but it's it just lowers it a degree in terms of like needing the speed element. If you can, it, it's probably, it, it's an uptick for instincts and a slight less tick for speed, you know. And, you know, we, I just, you know, go back to Green for a second. We talked about, oh, you know, there's, you know, we're just kind of waiting to see. Well, one of the more noteworthy things with Green was this, all right, we're going to throw him in the corner. 
see, you know, it, it's all good. Uh, you know, like <laughs> people are saying the right things and, and, and overall it makes sense. If you're going to make every other person like have to play like catcher and shortstop and then bullpen catcher and all this stuff, you might as well have Riley Green play a corner spot uh, on occasion. Um, and what's funny about that is Riley was doubted his entire professional as soon as he was on the professional radar, he was labeled a corner guy, didn't project as... I mean, I remember what his exact scouting report was off the top of my head, but there's no way it was viewed plus. No, everyone uh, was like, uh, everyone's it, like, he can't play center field. And then on draft night, Scott Pleiss was like, we view him as a center fielder. And that was like a big story. Yeah. And so, and, and they gave him every they opportunity were right. all the That's way up. A, a, yeah. One of the few examples of the old regime being right. They actually watched him where I think the scouting, that was a, a prime example of the scouting industry being lazy. And he improved a lot from his junior year to senior year in the field, but people just stuck with like, ah, no, nah, he's, you know, can't move in the outfield. Well, it was a point of pride for him. Yeah. And it's been a point of pride for him the entire time. So the that the art of kind of giving him some time in the corner i think was something that i don't know if you like like noticed this like being boots on the ground but for me from afar it kind of felt like this was something that they thought out as to how to talk about once they wanted to give him some you know uh some spots in the corner like it's like and they probably were they i imagine talk to him about it as well and it was one of those things where i think they actually kind of did try to handle it not delicately but knowing that this would be a talking point because of his history with the number eight in your scorecard yeah i think there's not really like an ulterior motive here i think um the tigers at some point want to answer the question you just posed like is parker meadows better than riley green in center field matt veerling we see that 97th percentile sprint speed Data in the past indicates he's actually not as good of an outfielder as Riley, but uh, let's give it a look. You know, at some point you want to just look and see and know, and you want to get some experience. You want to get Jonathan Davis in the lineup. For some reason, they want to play Ryan Kreidler in center, which I think is, is pretty stupid. <laughs> um, but, you know, they... They want to give other guys looks. What if Riley gets hurt at some point in the year? Like you, you want other guys to have played center field. And I think especially with Meadows and Veerling, largely based on their speed, you want some looks at them in center so you can know for sure. And if one of them does be better, you don't want moving to a corner to be foreign with Riley. It sounds like they, uh, I, I do believe what the team and AJ Hinch said and that it, it was not an indictment of Riley green at all. It was more, yeah. we got to get some other dudes, some looks in center. And if a development happens to come out of that, where, you know, it, it, it makes you change your opinion a little bit. So be it. And if not, no big deal. That's, that's pretty much how I view it. I think it's smart. I think spring training is the time you do stuff like this. Is Riley, uh, is Riley green? Does he profile as a better rider left fielder? That's another question I don't know the answer to. Um, the more I've thought about it, I think it depends on the ballpark. You know, uh, I was thinking about this with Veerling versus Austin Meadows. You know, I think uh, Data says, oh, well, Veerling has the strong arm. Maybe we put him in right. But Comerica, there's a lot of ground to cover out in left field. I mean, right field too, but, but left field, um, 
I think I would want Veerling's speed in left. I think I would want Riley's speed in left in Comerica. And if you're at Fenway, where you don't have to do anything in left field, but you got to cover a lot of ground in right field, I'd probably want him in right. So that's how I'm answering this question for now. Very diplomatic of you. <laughs> I think it's an AJ Hinch answer. We don't, <laughs> we don't label guys one thing or another. You know, we really look at <laughs> Exactly. I had the same thought. All right, so we can't not talk about perhaps the most encouraging aspect of camp so far, and that was being able to see Spencer Turnbull on the mound again. Uh, he went two innings on Saturday, allowed two hits, allowed a run. It was earned. Had two strikeouts. He had a one-two-three first inning. Uh, was a little less sharp in the second inning, but overall escaped relatively unscathed encouraging start i would say now cody you as you said earlier you didn't we were not there you did not see it because you went through the rigors of travel during uh northern winters or whatever but the turnbull story this camp is what just like how is how is he felt how how is he you know how are people talking about him he did reach 95 a couple times on saturday so it seems like his velocity is there, and with coming back from Tommy John, there's obviously a lot of mental stuff. Plus, he gets kind of thrown into the pitch clock thing after having not pitched in <laughs> you know, almost two years, so that's that's a funny little wrinkle. But how is Spencer Turnbull these days? Yeah, I think Spencer's been in great spirits. I think he's really happy to be back on the mound, back around the game. I liked the nugget that came out of his Saturday outing. Chris Fetter told him, like, you better not be upset about this. You better not leave this outing feeling anything but good. You got back on the mound. Your stuff was good. You threw hard. And Turnbull was upset because he he gave up a run. You know, uh, I, I tend to lean toward Fetter's view. We've seen Turnbull pitch a couple times. We saw him get in a live game, and the velo's there. His stuff is moving. You know, uh, maybe a couple things to sharpen up, but he does not look – out of sorts and again more than any tangible results i think that that is the encouraging thing to take away turbo looks pretty promising to me right now we'll see how he hones his command and, and command of the secondary stuff that's a concern for a lot of times coming off of tommy john but right now i i feel pretty good about where turnbull's at all things considered well one of the things he didn't do cody on saturday was he did not call his own pitches however Eduardo Rodriguez and Matthew Boyd dabbled in that. And if you haven't seen any videos of this, it's actually quite fascinating where, you know, they got the device on their belt. They kind of get uh, on their hip, you know, area and they kind of get the ball and they kind of do, 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 do. And then they go and, and, and they throw. It's actually quite fascinating. And a complete reversal of everything I know about, uh, pitch calling and and the dynamics of pitcher and catcher and all that stuff and aj had some fascinating takes on this i felt reading his quotes in your story i was like man this guy can just never not be a former catcher like <laughs> it, it it felt to me like it was a there was a little bit of honor at stake when when the discussion was was being had about this uh I'm I'm an open-minded person. Like I'm open to the possibility that this being like a good thing. 
it strikes me as odd, but maybe just because it's new. Uh, shed some light on this. What is it? What? Why is this a thing? It might not actually be a thing. Like, what is going on here with this pitchers calling their own stuff via PitchCom? Okay, I think this is awesome. I, I love this topic. We're probably going to spend a lot of time on it. <laughs> so pitchers can, it, this is not even approved to be used in their regular season yet, right? But in spring, teams are experimenting with pitchers having the pitchcom remote on their hip. And it's kind of a response to the pitch clock. So say the catcher, you know, hits his buttons on the remote. That's how we call signs here in 2023. And the pitcher doesn't like it, so he shakes well then the catcher has to like hit a couple more buttons and then that's uh three four five seconds gone by whereas if the pitcher has his own remote he can doesn't even have to shake you know he gets the sign and he's like nah he hits in another sign in theory hopefully the catcher agrees and then you go and it's seamless it's made to save a couple seconds that's the inception of this where it's become already a, a minor controversy eduardo rodriguez was calling his entire own game with Donnie Sands behind the plate <laughs> in spring training. Now the the catch here is that Eduardo comes out after his outing and he talks to the media and Eduardo, not known for um, overly insightful interviews, gives probably his best interview in his time as a Tiger. And it's just like, we saw you were calling your own pitches. What'd you think of that? And he's just, he's like, I loved it. You know, I know my stuff better than anyone. I really... I think it makes me better because I can call the pitch I have most confidence in. And you know what? If I call the wrong pitch and a guy hits it out, that that's on me. It's not on the catcher. It's not on the manager. And Eduardo's just going on about this and how much he loves it. And I walk away like, okay, that was that was really good from Eduardo. And then I walk away like, AJ is going to hate this. <laughs> I was just laughing. I was like, this is amazing. Um, and sure enough, you know, AJ, it, I think at the end of the day, there is so much that goes into calling a game. There's so much data. There is so much studied that it ultimately should be a collaborative process. Um, as much as it's nice to have a pitcher who trusts his own stuff on the mound, I think you risk getting in trouble with stubbornness a little bit just because a guy's fastball feels good that day doesn't mean it's actually the best pitch. Or what if the guy starts calling his own game? And he's just like, all the data says I should throw a slider, but you know what? I really want to blow 98 by this guy, and he throws a fastball into the throw. Like, I think you put yourself at risk for that. However, Eduardo makes some interesting points. So I want to ask you, Kieran, why, why do catchers call pitches at all? What do you think? Why do you think that's a thing? I think I know my answer, but I want to hear your answer. My answer would be it's because part of their position is to study the opponents on a more regular basis and the art of the art of receiving is different than the art of pitching. A pitcher has so many things to worry about like over the course of every pitch that I think it takes away something like in a good way like it takes away one less thing for him to have to also call his own pitch. I think catchers are, I mean, there's a reason why the majority of, I don't know if it's still the majority, but it just feels like the majority of managers were catchers. Jim Leland, Brad Ausmus, A.J. Hinch. Uh, They are the thinking position. They're the quarterback of the the baseball team because they see everything and they study everything. And I would push back a little bit on Eduardo. I know stat-wise he was correct about, like, that's on me. 
But in terms of evaluating and what causes a win and a loss, if it's a bad pitch call, that the manager's not going to just blame the pitcher. He's going to blame the catcher as well, like the collaboration thing. So to me, it's because the catcher has always been the thinking man's position. Because, you, again, you see everything, you study everything, and that's only gotten in, increased as, uh, as we've gone into an analytical world. And the pitcher, to me, especially if you're a guy that's got the 98 heater, are you really going to want, like, the slider on the outside corner? No, you're going to want to throw the heater every single time. There's a little bit of a machismo element to it. So, to me, it's sort of like getting the pitcher out of his own way. You have somebody else call the game. Yeah, I think all that makes sense. And ultimately, I do agree with you. But just to play devil's advocate, I I do think the reason it's always struck me as a little bit odd, if you really zoom out, say you're a newcomer to the sport, you'd be like, wait, so the guy throwing the pitches doesn't get to like choose what he throws, which isn't entirely accurate. Obviously, he can shake if he disagrees with catcher and same if the pitcher's calling a catcher can hit his remote if he disagrees. But isn't that a little weird? I think it's because at the inception of the game, there was no way for the pitcher to give signs without them being easily detectable by the other team. I think um, obviously your pitcher and catcher need to be on the same page because if the guy is going to throw a curveball and the catcher doesn't know what's coming, he's going to have a harder time blocking it, being in position, whatever. Uh, so if in 1880 there was a pitch com that the pitcher could use, <laughs> I think that's what they would have done. I think they would have been like, oh, all right. The pitcher is going to get authority over this, but because there's no way for that to happen, the only way you could greatly give signs was the guy behind the plate. That is what we have been accustomed to. That has become the tradition of the game, and catcher has become this kind of quote-unquote thinking man's position. I think the advent of this pitchcom remote almost makes you question that a little bit. Uh, I think if it were 1930 and there really wasn't, wasn't that much data going into what pitches are being thrown anyway, I'd almost be like, yeah, you know what? Just let the pitcher have a little more control over this. But given that it is 2023 and there is a ton of study and information from the analytics team to the pitching coach, to the manager, to, to everything, I do think you are a little safer, have a little better control over the game with, with the catcher calling the pitches. Although if we're doing that, I'm like, well, I don't know. Why Why don't signs just come from the dugout, you know? And and there are teams I think – I think I've heard that, like, yeah, we might be closer to that happening one day, and then you still get former catchers, including AJ, being like, no, like, no, the catcher will do this. <laughs> like, I don't know. If we're if, – if the justification now is data, like, like, maybe we ought to be given signs from the dugout because that's what they do at every other level of baseball, almost. Uh, they're a big-time college – I'm pretty sure – Chris Fetter called the majority of pitches during games at Michigan. Like there are D one programs that catchers do not call the game. Um, so I, I just think it's interesting. There's almost some things that don't make sense. If you really zoom out and think about. Well, if you look at, I mean, the only thing that's like kind of more or less directly comparable is like in football, like Terry Bradshaw called his own plays. Uh, there were a lot of quarterbacks that called their own plays. Johnny Knight has called his own plays. But once the speaker and the helmet became just like the thing, no coach gave up that uh, the authority to call plays. And and no one, it, it's just not a thing anymore. You, you have audibles or whatever, but that would be a thing. I think you're right. I think that's going to be the next thing that a forward-thinking organization does 
is call plays from the dugout. And because in theory, you think about what that what that can do, what that can do. So now it alleviates a huge burden on the catcher of uh, of how you the Dylan Dingler with Dylan. I know he's struggling to hit or whatever, but his story would be a little bit different if it was just like catch and hit. You know, but he's got to pour over all this data and he's got to learn how to do it for the first time. Because as you said, these college programs, the coaches are calling the pitches. So I think you could almost change the dynamic of the position a little bit if you take away the pitch calling element. And there are going to be guys, I mean, there's there'll be drawbacks as well. There are going to be guys that will be out of the league faster because, oh, well, you know, he can't really hit, but dude, dude calls a great game, you know, but... But that might that might be a thing in the past, and now you can look to. I mean, it's an offensive league, right? Now you can look to maybe add a, a essentially another batter to your lineup because most of these teams, these catchers, just you know, it's not really part of the evaluation in the same way. Now you can go get yourself a hitting catcher if you have a good enough staff and just make his receiving steals good. But he doesn't have to work. He hasn't he doesn't have to get bogged down with this harvard level studying that goes into being able to call a game and in fact you could make the argument that it's quite you know it's quite archaic to to have the catcher call a game these days you know the like all these things that go into it now i mean i i think if we it's like you said i think if we had the amount of data back in 1924 no catchers calling the game now like even forget forget it it, it would just it, even if you didn't have the pitch com it'd still be the face signs so like there's just maybe there's too much information for a guy to have to worry about like i said about the pitcher having to worry about this maybe there's just too much information for the guy on the field including the catcher to worry about maybe it should be taken away from them and then you can completely change the dynamic of the position that's fascinating that just came to me you know actually the more i think about it how is this not something that AJ is just grabbing by the horns? Like, AJ, like most managers, head coaches, general managers, presidents of sport ops or whatever, love control. This is the ultimate manager control. How is AJ not grab this? And then he can even say, like, well, I used to do this as a player, so, and I got Chris here. Like, I, like, there's, <laughs> this is tailor made for AJ to take over. Maybe it's a facade. Maybe he doesn't want to like offend the catchers on the roster, and then uh, eventually, kind of slowly uh, bring it in. But I, I almost feel like this is right up AJ's alley. He loves control, just like everybody does. You know, when you get to that position, you're all about control. I mean, he doesn't let you guys talk to assistant coaches. Does it get more controlling than that? So, so I, I think AJ's looking at this the wrong way, or maybe he's fooling all of us. I, I wouldn't rule either side out there. I think the one thing AJ loves more than control is the catcher position. I do think he has this undying loyalty to being a catcher and the catcher should call the game. And and so I think it creates a real conundrum for him right there. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder. You need to you need to get your uh get your inside sources to see if there's like a birdie named Chris Fetter that's just like flying by AJ saying you know I could you know the reason you hired me is because I could call pretty good games you know when I was at Michigan you know like that that makes for that makes for fun discourse I I, I enjoy that a lot somewhere but the, Chris and AJ are listening to this I'm sure they have their own thoughts you guys could always come on the pod and we can discuss it as a group you know yeah friends of the podcast oh, Chris and AJ and 
okay, the one thing to kind of circle back to the actual pitchers using the comm system themselves is why is it not like weird that we're doing this and we're not like sure whether it's going to be allowed or not like like last year this wasn't the case just with the catchers right now uh now it's like we're not like we could be wasting our time the players be wasting their time and we're wasting our time talking about it if like the pitcher isn't going to allow, be allowed to do it like once the game starts it's, it feels a little odd to me yeah i i feel like they must have gotten a sense that it's going to be approved because the tigers were a little late to using this at all there were a few teams the padres doing it from day one of camp and i asked about it like are you guys doing this and aj was like no because we're not sure if it's going to be approved yet so we don't want guys to get used to it well now they're using it which is also brings back a funny thing remember the tigers were slow to use the pitch com at all this time last year yes uh so as forward thinking as as aj and fetter are they uh they are pretty old school when it comes to calling pitches well i think also if i recall correctly tucker was pretty slow tucker didn't like it yeah and and so obviously now that's not the case but it kind of interesting that eduardo uh Spoke glowingly of yeah, it. Yeah, and, you know, and I wrote about this, and I got a couple people like, oh, this is Eduardo being selfish. It's it's kind of unfortunate because a lot of people already have a negative perception of Eduardo. Like, I don't – I didn't have a problem with what he that. said. I don't ultimately think he's right, but I think it was – I think it was coming from um, a, a fine place, and he had some good logic to back up his opinions. Don Shula, when he was coach of the Colts, tried to call plays for Johnny Unitas, and Johnny Unitas called the timeout, and he said, if you want to call the play, you go run the effing play. And that was it. <laughs> that was the end. So maybe Eduardo Rodriguez is just Johnny Unitas. You know, maybe maybe that, maybe that's the, the parallel. You know, in high school, we got a new uh, football coach, and he didn't really get along with the quarterback, and so I guess the kid had control to, like, call most of the plays, or I don't know. He, he started calling plays from the old coaching staff during a game. <laughs> Didn't go over well. Yeah, I guess, yeah, there's a lot of layers to this. It's, it's a lot of fun to think about. And good on Eduardo for, you know, putting putting his opinion out there. I appreciate that. Um, speaking of calling pitches, though, I think we can touch on this just uh, briefly here before we move on to some non-pitching topics. But uh, Matt Manning had an interesting quote this week where – he sort of I'm not, I don't want this to come across as a criticism of Manning cuz I think it's it's great that he said this it's it's a great little nugget it gives us a better idea of the Tigers old regime how they handled prospects um but he was sort of like assessing his own developmental shortcomings or prior developmental shortcomings and he was talking about how all he did in the minors because you're just trying to get up, you know, levels and stuff, is he just threw fastballs, and the talent that he is, the majority of guys aren't going to be able to hit his fastball. The pro- and so he, you know, moved on up. The problem is that he didn't learn to develop, and these are, I'm just kind of paraphrasing what he's saying here. I'm not quoting him. He, basically, he's, he's getting to, is I, I didn't develop, like, my curveball, really, because why would I throw the curveball and try to refine it when the fastball is going to get me the out sooner, and therefore outs equal successful outings and successful outings equal ascending the minor leagues and you know blah 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 so he essentially saying like the system of which i was in a part of taught didn't lend me to be a complete pitcher by the time i got to the major leagues 
And on one hand, I appreciate his honesty. On another hand, wow, that is alarming. That is not okay. I think his like direct quote was, I should have been told to like go out and just throw like 50% curveballs or something. Like, mm-hmm. and, and it seems to me if we're looking for just other examples of old way of thinking in Detroit, new way of thinking in Detroit, that one's going to rank up the top uh, if we get examples from pitchers in the system that are, you know, not necessarily looking for outs, but looking for development, you know, and single, double, triple, A, and all that stuff. I thought it was fascinating. Nice little nugget there. Appreciate his honesty. Yeah, and uh, Detroit Free Press got that nugget. Shout out to the Free Press for for getting Matt to say that. Um, Really interesting honesty. The old regime continues to kind of catch strays all over the place. First it was Fajardo talking about his arm slot, now Manning. Um, It's really interesting. I think it's pretty enlightening. Tells you a lot about their old mythology. I also wonder is like, this now just a thing where if a guy's struggling, he's just going to blame it on the old staff a, a little bit. I don't know. I don't. It's an interesting point, right? It sounds like Manning was allowed. I don't know, but it's not like the old regime didn't know Manning had to develop his secondary stuff. From the day he was drafted, that, that, that has been a point of conversation, trying to get him a third pitch. His curveball was good for a long time, and then it totally went away. Could the staff have done a better job of helping him develop these pitches? Probably so, but uh, I don't know. It's not like Matt Manning has not had six years to round out his arsenal at the same time. So I'm not ultimately sure. Like, I think some of both is true is probably how I feel about that one. Yeah, I mean, at a certain point, you can still, like, take ownership of it, you know. Um, and, and, and I did have that thought, too. But it's just, you know, it's just way easier to put the blame on Al. And Chad and all that stuff. Like it's just like, why wouldn't you? It's 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 the best business decision to do. So uh, so I thought that was interesting. We'll have to see, you know, kind of follow, keep that in mind, everybody, as you kind of watch him in these outings and then going into the season. All right. So another kind of, I would say, fascinating camp aspect guy on the roster is Jonathan Scope. Jonathan Scope is a guy that, when we first started doing this podcast, you know, you, you, you feel kind of nice about having Jonathan Scope at second base and in, in your order. I believe he was like, you're kind of your, your number two hitter uh, with, uh, only a couple of years ago. And then last year, hitting-wise, the bottom fell out. And he was still an excellent defender, but age is, a, is uh, coming up on him. I should also say he got an extension you know, as well. So like he re-upped, he wanted to, you know, the story about, I want to be in Detroit and all that stuff. He's up there in age, but he also changed his body. And he's a guy that we could do a podcast about where we just talk ourselves in the either direction of, is he a trade piece potentially? Is he just a veteran that you kind of ride out and thank you for your service and we appreciate it, but we're going to move on. Is he a guy who can kind of come into another phase of his career and be utility, like something stronger than the word utility, but not necessarily your everyday like infielder. Is he a third baseman? So like the third base conversation is actually kind of where I want to start with this because We'll get to Wolfie here in a little bit, but we speculated in the offseason whether, like, you know, could you put Scope at third base, you know? And 
And there was some pushback on that, and it's valid. I'm not criticizing the critiques, but it's like, well, he can't hit right now, and his best tool is his glove at that position, and then you're kind of mitigating both of them at the same time but putting him at third. And I get that. But it's being talked about enough, Cody, that I have to say it's a, at least somewhat of a possibility, like getting him getting some time at third. But then at the same time, it's like, what are your real other second base options? None that are really that sexy right now. So I don't know. I, I, I feel like this scope discussion, like I said, you could talk yourself into door A, door B, and door C, and you kind of feel like all of them have like a realistic option for him going forward because it's not like it's not like he's a guy that's like a bad locker room presence. In your story, he's he got Akil Badu to come, you know, come to his hometown and stuff. Oh, that's Scoop's all. a popular guy, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So like, if he's a good presence and he can kind of find that next lane of his career, I don't know. I don't like uh, the scope thing is probably the most interesting but less talked about storyline combination uh in tiger's camp yeah i think it's interesting that there's this um push just kind of right off jonathan's scope like this guy's been a very productive player for many years and it's not like he's 36 he's 31 i i think he's gonna bounce back and play a lot more like 2021 jonathan scope still comes with some stuff to not love he chases a lot he does not walk a lot that's just going to be his game. It's, you know, AJ made up the point, you know, they studied how many walks he gave up by swinging at bad pitches in three ball counts. And that's interesting. So maybe, you know, you get him to be a little more selective when he has three balls. Maybe you can get a little more walks out of him. But I, I think you're going to have to live with some chase and some walk. But I think this guy has more offensive upside overall than the majority of the players on your team, then especially your infielders, like Maton or Andy Abanez, like scope can hit 20 plus homers and be a 1000 WRC or 100 WRC plus guy. He has been for most of his career. Uh, you know, AJ did make an interesting comment that he's going to have to really control the zone. If he wants to play against right-handed pitching, which hinted, like, could he be demoted to almost more of a platoon option? maybe but that's still my question who's gonna outperform him i mean mayton can hit righties but i think the majority of days mayton at third scope at second seems to make a lot of sense to me i'm also i think the the scenario where scope plays third is like probably caesar hernandez who has not looked super comfortable at third but has looked at second say if he makes the roster is your infield overall better with scope at third, Caesar at second? Probably so, uh, but I don't think that's really the case for any of these these other players that we're talking about on the infield. Like I think Maton looks great at third. Um, I think your infield's better with Abanias at third, scope and second, Kreidler at third, scope at second. I think the majority of of scenarios scream just kind of leave scope at second base. Um, he is going to have to go out and earn it and perform. And he did play in the Caribbean series and he didn't hit well. And he has been behind on fastballs all spring, but I'm a little surprised at how, how ready everyone just seems to write off Jonathan scope. Yeah. And you know, just an example, like we're having this discussion right now and it's just a continuation of 2022. Then it's like just an example of just how fast the decline can come and, He's he's a guy who after this season, 
will have made uh, about $46 million in his playing career. You know, hell, hell, of a, hell of a nice time in Major League Baseball. Like, uh, you know, but he, but he, this, he's, I think he's making 7-5, I think, this season. This is his last year in that range. So he's going to have to, he's got a lot of things to figure out himself in terms of what kind of player am I going to be going forward because the days of signing those kind of deals are kind of over for him, and that's okay. You know, like, that that's just part of, you know, that's... that's... I mean, I don't know that that's true. If Scope has a two-war season, I think he can get $7 million again for a short term, Maybe. another one- or two-year deal. The, the free agent market's never been super kind to him, by the way, but if he plays, you know, he it, could play it, well is... worth that probably not more is there a world where he's starting at second base in 24 i don't think for the tight i think the tigers will move on regardless of what he does because his contract's up and because uh scott harris likes this thing called dominate the strike zone maybe you've heard maybe you've heard scott or aj talk about that a time or two i think ultimately they will seek a guy with a different profile than scope uh but that doesn't mean scope couldn't catch one elsewhere if he i mean if scope hits 20 home runs this year um, and has a 300-ish, 310 OBP, like I think someone would easily, you know, take him as their second baseman. Sure. All right. Well, you mentioned this uh, former Tigers executive a couple times on this pod. Uh, did and, and, and also in regards to Parker Meadows when it was like, see, we, you know, we, we got something right or whatever. Did this apply to Andre Lipschitz? You wrote about Andre Lipschitz, your, uh, mm, yours. Yeah, I don't, you, I don't think we talk much about Lipschitz. Now, I can tell you, Al Avila once, you know, Al Avila loved him some Andre Lipschitz, and I was never sure if that was just him, like, paying lip service, trying to make his farm look good, or make his draft picks look good. Like, he used to say that he believed Andre Lipschitz was an everyday second baseman. And I was always skeptical of that view. But here's Andre Lipschitz. 390-something on base in Toledo last year and coming out in spring and looking as productive as any of these guys. Um, I've never loved, like, his tools have not jumped out. I watched a, a couple games in Erie sitting by scouts, and I was like, what do you think of this Lipschitz guy? And they were just like, meh. But all, all, all the guy does is put up numbers, so at some point we got to give this guy some flowers. Yeah, and... You know he's got his backers on Tiger's Twitter too, so you know that it's got to count for something. You know there's a every time he does, he's, 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 his girlfriend's very active on Twitter. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> All right, okay, uh, we'll uh, continue our little infield trend here. I, I I got something to say about this hobby bias discussion that kind of goes around a little bit. So Gavin Lux, ugh. Terrible looking knee injury. It's the worst. He tears his ACL. Uh, just a fluke thing. Just rounding the base or whatever. And Tiger's Twitter kind of does it. You know, localizes the story and is like, "Well, do you think we could ship off? You know, Baez to the Dodgers?" And it made me think of like, like I'm I'm kind of a sucker for these like MTV style like dating reality shows. I just find them hilarious. Uh, but it's all about like switching partners and trying to convince somebody of this and that. And a lot of times, I I'm sort of like yelling at the TV. You're you're being too obvious. You are being too obvious about 
your intention to switch here. Tigers fans are being too obvious about their intention to get rid of a guy <laughs> who, in all likelihood, is going to be on the team for like another four years. So you can't just like all of a sudden be like, oh, well, I think he should go, you know, think the Dodgers would like him. A, no. <laughs> B, like it's just that it's not it's not how it works. Like you gotta you gotta embrace him a little bit. He's gonna be here. You gotta find things to like about him. And so I, I just kind of I just thought we should address it because that got a lot of traction. And it's like every time a shortstop gets hurt, oh, you think they like hobby bias? You think they want to take on that contract? No, they're not gonna want to do that. And the thing is. The book is out on Javi Baez. You can't, like, hide anything about him. He's been in the spotlight since before Donald Trump was president. Like, like <laughs> the, everyone knows Javi Baez. Everyone has an opinion on Javi Baez. So there, there, there's no, yeah, to quote Arrested Development, where did the fire of uh, lighter fluid come from? Like, everyone knows, man. So... I just thought we needed to address it a little bit and just, I just want to say like, calm down, just calm down. It's not really a thing. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. I don't think it should have got as much attention as it did because as you pointed out, like you really think the Dodgers want Javi Baez? Um, and here's the other thing. Say, say they did. How are you constructing that trade? Javi Baez has an opt out. So are you trading Five years of Javi Baez or one year of Javi Baez? Chances are he's not going to opt out because I don't think anyone is going to want to pay him more than he's currently under contract for, especially deeper into his 30s. So then I think if you try to trade Javi, somewhat unlike Eduardo, um, you got to act like you're trading five years of Javi Baez, which means you're going to want a, a pretty decent return. But if you're the Dodgers, you're not going to give that up because you're like, what if he opts out? So, even in a world where they did want Javi Baez, I do not think the trade would be realistic. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I I think it I think you just got to know where you're at like if you're a Tigers fan and just like stop looking at door number 2 that doesn't exist. Like door number 1 is Javi Baez as yeah. your shortstop. Yeah. You know, try to find things that you like. <laughs> it would be I'm I'm going to advise Tigers fans to do this. I'm going to say give give Javi Baez a couple months this year to change your mind. And if he gets off to a terrible start and it, he's throwing balls everywhere, like I get it. You know, I get why you wouldn't, wouldn't like the player. He can be very frustrating to watch. Um, but there's a world in which Baez is more like the guy we saw through most of the second half last year. And look, he's always going to have terrible swing decisions at the plate, but yeah, he's probably going to be here for five more years, and I don't know if it's fair if he's just despised by the fan base his entire five years here. Give him a chance to make some improvements. There are always going to be things you have to live with live with, with Javi, but uh, New Year, how about, how about a clean slate? How about a clean slate for him for a little bit at least? It's a general principle that when you sign a, you know, whatever is defined as a big deal, that year two is typically like the is usually better than year one. You're more familiar with your environment, and that's not even including like last year with all the chaos of the lockout and all that stuff. And so, I think 
if you're looking towards something, that's that's something to look to as well. Uh, another another thing I pull from Tiger's Twitter, Cody, is every time Jonathan Davis is in the lineup, there's a collective kind of eye roll and I would say tepid criticism. It's like, you know, why is he getting at bats? Uh, entering Sunday... He had 12 at-bats. If you're looking for comparison, Parker has 17 at-bats in spring training. Um, to me, uh, I don't have like a huge problem with giving Davis some, some time. A, you got him here. You might as well play him. Uh, B, you, you can't... You know, it just became March. Like, you can't play Parker Meadows every day. Like, like, like it's a long season, and we're just not even to the season. So, I, I understand where people are coming from, but to me, it's like, like, relax. Like, there, there's, this is all kind of part of the process. It's kind of baked into the cake. Like, Parker Meadows isn't going to be really missing at bats because Jonathan Davis is in the lineup. But I understand the frustration because there's nothing to be excited about with Jonathan Davis, like, leading off in spring training or whatever. Yeah, I think last week I pointed to Jonathan Davis as like a sleeper roster candidate. You know, maybe someone we weren't talking about as much. Uh, I didn't necessarily say that because I thought he was or should be on the roster, but because he was an option. Clearly, he's an option. That's why the Tigers have played him so much. They want to see him. Now, I'm siding with Tigers Twitter on this one. How about we stop pretending Jonathan Davis is going to make the roster? Or that he should make the roster. I don't I don't know what AJ and Scott Harris think. I think they have a lot of decisions to make. I think we should rule this one out. Because what's been this entire thing? Oh, earmarking at bats for young players. Well, Jonathan Davis doesn't fit that. He's a non-roster. He's like a you know, free agent who is... How old is he? Is he 30? 31? Yeah, he's like he's, 30. He, okay, 30, so he's, he's not young. He's not going to be on the team beyond this year. He doesn't bring you much offense. He's fast and he plays good defense. That's great, but justifying a roster spot for him doesn't seem to make much sense. We've seen him play a lot now. You you have an idea what he is, and it's just not like he's a bad player, but I just don't see him as a fit for this team. I don't think he brings much upside. Uh, I think you move on from this one pretty pretty quickly, and you do. You see more Parker Meadows, you see more Akil Badu, you see more Kerry Carpenter, and you figure out that that conversation, and you stop pretending like Davis is really in the mix. All right, that's fair. Uh, last week I miss, uh, I mistakenly said that you wrote about Wolfie, and that was actually your, as you said, you got scooped. Uh, by your own uh, colleague there by the Phillies. But you did get your story out on on Wolfie. I'm just going to keep calling him Wolfie because it makes me laugh. Uh, on Wolfie. And i tell you, I'll tell you what. Uh, he had a walk-off uh, home run this week. And I don't have like a formal breakdown of uh, HKGs because I was like, I don't this guy is like the star of camp. Like I don't like, and he and he keeps. I, I think he's my number he, one. I don't know yeah. how you he cannot be. So HKG ranking short version, like he's number one. But Nick Maton is a guy that I, I don't know. Is there like you you've been around him? You, you you wrote about him this week, 
this this juice this energy is is it real is it like do you do you get like the sense of it like it like what is the what is this nick maton thing that we're going through right now yeah dude's an interesting personality he's got this like honorary energy to him i would just say go you know go read the story on the athletic that's i probably put it uh, into words there better than than I can now. And look at the Kyle Schwerber quote. Kyle Schwerber last year said, I thought this was fake. I thought there's no way he could bring this energy every single day. And then he brought that energy every single day. That's a pretty telling quote from a pretty respected player. Clearly, Maton seems to be being, bringing a good vibe to the locker room. Um, you know, I just wanted to write a story about, okay, why, why does this guy call himself Wolfie? Why is he like bark? Why is this a thing? And didn't get much of an answer there. Now, since I think I've learned the true origin of the Wolfie nickname, and uh, it's not really safe for work. So let your mind go in the gutter for a second, and I bet you can get a ballpark idea of what we're talking about. And you know what? I thought about that, and I was like, you know what? This guy's a legend. <laughs> like, maybe I should go up and, like, like shake his hand. Like, like Nick Maton, this guy's making a great impression so far. What's not to love? Yeah, and... You know, the, as I said last week, stale clubhouse last year, this guy brings that energy um, and produces. I mean, that's the big thing, too. You can call yourself whatever the hell you want to call yourself, but if you suck, like, it's going to be, you know, it's it's not it's not going to go well for you. So I, I'm excited to see him kind of continue this. Uh, he's definitely part of, he's definitely part of the uh, greatest trade of all time, you know, uh, with uh, Scott Harris. Uh, <laughs> Great straight. Yeah, right. Philly's broadcast uh, dropped a, an anecdote when the Tigers were playing in Clearwater. You know, he was going around commiserating with all his own t- old teammates, and they were barking and doing weird stuff, and someone asked him, like, how's your swing? How are you hitting? And Maton just said, I'm raking. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's who this guy is. Oh I love God. it. I need to see him out out on the streets oh, <laughs> oh my god I need... he, he's probably a danger to the public man. <laughs> I, need, I need to know all the things about wolfie uh all right cody i think this guy's energy is best confined to like a baseball diamond i don't know i don't know how it plays outside of that oh man all right cody we've touched on a lot of things here the the storylines are not slowing down there's actually some stuff that we just couldn't really fit in we'll get into uh in uh in future podcasts but you got anything else you want to get off your chest real quick uh no no i think that's it like i said it'll be back in lakeland soon enough and before you know it we're going to be looking at some roster cuts and some more interesting decisions i don't know what's going to happen with this roster i'm going to have a roster projection out monday on the athletic and i'm just going to tell you right now it's probably going to be wrong because i don't think aj and scott (laughs) still know the infield or the back of the bullpen so there there is still some interesting stuff to follow here in camp for sure, for sure. And you can read all those stories if you subscribe to The Athletic. I want to thank everybody for subscribing to this podcast on Apple and Spotify. And if you're a YouTube YouTuber and you like to hit that uh, that little bell icon for notifications or whatever, you know, we would appreciate that. And as we expand this, and I, I tell you what, it hit me uh, just the other day. I was like, oh, crap, in a month, I'm going to be in Detroit. It's hey. awesome. That's awesome. Can't wait. Can't wait to... Hang out with you, Cody. See everybody. See some Tigers games. It's going to be a great time. So um, 
we're gonna put this up this will be up on sunday gonna try something new a little bit do a little sunday afternoon pod in case you're you know driving somewhere cooking out if you're outside of michigan uh and some <laughs> enjoy some nice weather and i want to thank everybody for listening our 100th regular episode feels crazy to say but we got plenty more left in the tank so thank you everybody again for cody stavenhagen i am kieran steckley everybody have a great week